Welcome to HBTV. I'm Harry Binswanger, the HB in HBTV. Today is my special guest, Jean Maroney Binswanger. No relation except for wife. She is a psychologist and she has developed her own theories based upon uh, statements in Gall's speech about two different forms of motivation. And motivation is the subject that we are investigating today. Jean has a different view than the traditional view associated with a, an arch villain in objectivist <laughs> history, whose name I won't even mention. So if uh, if his theories turn out to be inadequate or wrong, that's fine. So the theory that we're going to discuss <clears throat> and is the foil for the discussion says that there's a basic need for psychologically for self-esteem. Self-esteem is the conviction that one is able to live and worthy of living. If a person lacks self-esteem, he doesn't feel he's competent, efficacious, or and or he doesn't feel that he's good, that he's worthy then this will produce anxiety. It, to the extent of the, uh, the lack is pressing, and it should always be pressing because you're always trying to survive, the person will feel anxiety. Chronic anxiety is a pretty unbearable state. So people who don't, take themselves in hand, this theory goes, and fix their problems that make them feel inefficacious or their standards that make them feel unworthy or their actions that violate actual good standards. People who don't take the proper remedial action will often choose to build up a fake self-esteem. Well, I'm not I'm not unworthy, I'm, I'm worthy. I give to charity, I take care of my mother, or I'm not inefficacious, I'm a victim. I mean, there are many forms that it can take, but in general, they're called a pseudo self-esteem is built up. And when they, it, through the self-deception, it's rationalization and various forms of maneuvers to convince oneself that one is worthy, despite a feeling to the contrary, and or that one is efficacious, despite a feeling to the contrary. And these are forms of self-deception that a person can engage in to avoid facing his actual self-estimate. And what we generally call defensiveness on this theory is the compulsive need to maintain a pseudo self-esteem since it's based upon uh, self-deception as one gets evidence that one is, you know, the truth, one can fight it with more lies, more self-deception, that's defensive behavior. Uh, so 
you have an entirely different idea of right. at least some forms of defensive behavior, and you, I'd like right. you to explain right. that. Right. So let me just say that the thing that I object to in this traditional analysis that we hear in objectivism is not that it's that self-esteem is not a need, and it's not that people sometimes develop a pseudo-self-esteem. It's that that is basically a philosophical take. It's like analyzing a person's character, not analyzing their psychology. So my objection here is that this is, uh, you know, there are times that you should actually do this analysis, but it requires actually some specific knowledge that the person is deceiving themselves. Otherwise, it's psychologizing to jump to these kinds of conclusions. And I think that defensiveness can be caused by much simpler processes. And I have a very simple view of motivation that I think explains all of these things, including the more extreme cases that you would call pseudo self-esteem. Can you can you just talk for a while about what we mean by defensiveness? Yeah. So by defensiveness, uh, what I would say is it's an automatized uh, aversion, right? It's a, a, to, a, a avoiding of something bad, automatized avoiding of something bad, and there are various ways it can show up. Like so, the the two Actually, I think classic cases of defensiveness are are evidenced by temptation or let's say compulsion and resistance, right? Something you think you're supposed to do and you resist doing it. That is a defensive reaction because you think there's going to be something bad when you do it. And so you you have this automatized aversion to doing it that is um really distorting. I, I say the essence of defensiveness is your judgment is really being distorted by an automatized motivation that is causing you to look in, in the wrong direction. And compulsiveness is similar to that, meaning that um, there, the automatized uh, motivation is drawing your attention to something that is, you know, let's say disproportionately valuable to you psychologically. Like, you know, if people have um, do emotional eating, they they go, they have a compulsion to eat when they get upset. It's actually driven by fear. But the particular when you run away from something, you need to run towards something. And what happened, the way this forms is that if they if you repeatedly run toward the same thing, when you run away from, like, uh, say, criticism, let's just say someone is defensive about criticism and say they run away by blaming the other person because it's that's an easier thing to do and they get a little bit of um uh maybe they get some mileage out of uh thinking that they're better and and the other person is worse if you do that repeatedly then that becomes a compulsion so let's uh let's concretize that and that's a good one because so okay but can i give I, me I, my I, yeah but can i give my basic idea first because i think that you need to know uh, okay, that i think, think that would be Clear yeah, because okay. okay. the whole point is, I think all this stuff can be explained with a few very simple uh, rules isn't quite the right word, but like a, a very simple mechanism can explain all of this kind of psychological behavior. And that's what we need in psychology. We need something simple, because if you take this view of self-esteem, it's like there's a humunc homunculus in there that's trying to protect itself and yeah. create new things and it's it's you know it's just way too complicated and it makes everything more complicated than it needs to be. So I think there're just a few simple things that happen. I think 
And some of them are similar to what happens in animals in that values get formed when you consciously, meaning purposefully act to gain something that is, is either you in the past has caused pleasure or you're for some reason you're expecting it to be good for you, right? Anytime you act purposefully towards something that's a positive, you strengthen that thing that you were acting to gain and keep. You strengthen that as a value in your psychology, and it now has the power to generate more emotions about it. If it gets threatened, it will generate fear. If it's um, if you lose it, it will generate grief. If you see it's possible for you to get it again, it will generate desire. But that's how values get strengthened. They get strengthened. They get created and formed and strengthened by acting to gain and keep some consciously, purposefully, something that uh, started out as a value. Now, the very first ones start in terms of biological needs, but then everything else is then built by acting to gain and keep something that is associated with pleasure in some way. When you add volition, so that's true in animals, right? When you right, add so you're saying the pleasure principle yeah. is is a source of uh, value if you For, act formation. on it. Right. As if you, you act, act on, it. on it, you build. Yes. Okay. Now we when you add volition, because I think that's true in animals, but when you add yeah. volition, you also add the fact that you have choice. You can see an opportunity to act on something, to gain and keep something, and not do it. And that weakens the value. And if you don't do it and you act towards something else, it strengthens the one value relative to the other. This is how we reprogram our value hierarchy, is we consciously choose, no, not that, this. And that is what changes the relative strength of values compared to one another. And that's so that's how values form. Now, there's also, because of when you avoid something you could go after, it's important to know that if you avoid something systematically, you actually create kind of a gap because not only do you not strengthen a value in that area, but you, since you don't act in that area, you also don't develop knowledge and you don't develop skill. So there's kind of an absence. That's an area of ignorance, incompetence, and indifference, which is not going to be pulling you forward, right? Oh, it's, it's No, it's, you've it's, decided I don't want that. And, and you don't develop in that area. Right. And that happens if you avoid it. If you don't go in that area, that's the default. The default is indifference, ignorance, and incompetence. Okay. That makes I sense, right? Well, uh, you're putting in two things. One is that you just say, well, that's fine and good. I could do that, but I've got a higher value elsewhere. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go after that. But I know well, I said you systematically. Have... I said systematically. If you but... systematically avoid acting towards something that was perhaps a value, then you get this this gap. Well, uh, are we going to get to the fear based? Uh... Yes. Right. So, so I just, I just. So the positive point is, if you don't act in that direction, you mm -hmm. don't build these positive things, which are very important. Yeah. Right. Um, if you both avoid something systematically and uh, uh, believe that you do that out of fear, yeah, then you not only have this gap in your knowledge and values and skills, but you also have affect associated with it. It's, it's basically tagged as a threat. And I think that's actually something that you do consciously. I think 
it's, I mean, I, I don't know, it, it's hard to tell what goes on in animals. But in people, I think that to have something really take on a life of its own, it needs to be conceptualized as this is, you know, this is a bug, a bug bear. This is a really terrible thing. This is something that would be awful. Like I could get criticized in front of people or I could make a fool of myself in front of people. That's what I call an anti-value. And so, and I think anti-value, now Leonard Peikoff uses this term once in OPAR. It does get used a couple of times in the companion. I'm talking about it specifically in a psychological sense. I think anti-value is a really good term for it because if you think of, it's like the opposite of a value. Instead of a, a node that has many things that are uh, that's strong and is connected to knowledge and skills, it's a it's like a gap. It's anti. It's like antimatter, right? It's a gap mm -hmm. that does not have knowledge, does not have skills, and does not have a pull forward. Plus, it's got this big aversion. It's capable of creating big threat-based emotions, basically aversion so, to it. So you're distinguishing that from what I said, which is, uh, well, I, I could develop uh, in the area of uh, chemistry. It's, it's kind of interesting, but I decide to go into biology or, or, or business, right. and I just put that aside. I don't... I, Right. I don't develop there. You're talking about, no, I can't. Chemistry is frightening. I mean, right. for some people it is. That's right. that's geeky stuff. I can't do that. I don't want to be in that. Right. right. So just making a value judgment of, say, philosophy is more interesting than chemistry is not mm -hmm. going to create an anti-value of chemistry. Right. You will only get an anti-value of chemistry if you systematically avoid it and because, because you are scared of it or you get scared of it somehow or something, you have to get the, it has to be, it has to actually be threatening something else and it has to have that fear associated with it to be turned into a structure that actually your psychology gets organized around. So normally your psychology is organized around values and it's all about your value hierarchy and how strong your values are. Okay. But you can have these occasional I think of them as lacunas that are anti-values. It's, you know, thousands of values, a few anti-values. Black anti holes, black yeah. holes. Hole. Uh, yeah. Let me see if I got this um, right. So the the positives are things that you associate, you've learned to associate with pleasure, which doesn't necessarily mean physical pleasure, but with enjoyment. Okay. Efficacy. Yeah. Efficacy, mm -hmm. a good sense of yourself. And you've acted acted over time and developed yourself in that area. And then on the other hand, there are things that you said, no, I cannot stand that. That's, that would be too horrible. Be to I got to do anything to get away from it. So it's fear and plus the negative action of running from it. Right. Or, Which or right. defending yourself, I guess. Right. Right. And, and I think that, you know, defensive behavior can show up. Um, you know, if you repeatedly avoid something, you can have these kinds of gaps that can create kind of blinders that look mm -hmm. a lot like, you know, they, they look very similar on the surface to what would be hardcore defensiveness. Oh, um, I'm thinking of somebody that uh, I thought was defensive about editing because you raised that. And when you... Okay. Whatever you said about his writing, he would have an answer to it, even if it was only 
Do you want to read it again? And so let me explain what's going on. You know, it was never, oh, yeah, I guess I could put that better. It was always, no, it cannot be changed. You must not attack that. Right. And so, um, right. So do you want to talk about how that would be explained in, with this model? Because I think, I the, guess, the, yeah, I make up something because yeah. we don't know who the person is anyway. Yeah, no, but the general, I mean, I, it's a very simple model. So in this mm -hmm. case, say, uh, so the person for some reason is, uh, is, is, so, so we have to make up a reason for why the person is afraid of this criticism. Oh, I so think I know. Reason. Okay, well, can you can you make up something that's anonymous that we can use? Oh, yeah. Sure. Um, it came out of him inspirationally. He uh. doesn't think he can make it any better because he would need to get a white heat build up and redo that inspiration and come. So it, it, it's not something under his control, his writing. Right. Okay. So, right. So this is a great example of where, you know, so there's a value here in that of, of there's some value of self-expression of being able to express his ideas. So he likes to be able to express his ideas. Mm -hmm. And when he gets into that state, the words just come. I mean, I, that's right. I can do that too. Right. Okay. That's, I'm very good at that. And, but he doesn't have a systematic method. So when he's so presumably when he has tried to do it without that white heat, what has come out he has seen has been bad. And he's like, oh, that's not good. What's that? In his yeah. view, anyway. Right. Okay. Maybe it was better, well, but you know, he views maybe it's better, it. But it's certainly let's let's put it this way. It doesn't have when when you were drafting something and it's just coming inspirationally, it feels really good. So yeah. this is a great example where um, the thing that's being avoided, self-criticism is always a little bit painful, right? I mean, this is actually one of the things you need to learn when you learn to edit yourself. You need to be, okay, all right, yeah, I guess that's not good. Well, okay, what am I going to do about it? Not the, You have to grieve a little bit and say, okay, well, what am I going to do about that? Because that's not actually up to snuff. That's not a pleasant experience. And if what the person does is when, I mean, it's 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 not i'm not saying it's a it's a killer experience i'm just saying not it's not pleasant i mean it, in my experience it's not about me it's about those words no those words are not great you can it can be said better than that no and it's all external so i don't uh, take it as a, very healthy okay so let's yeah. stipulate that this person instead when they saw oh those words aren't right they said oh no uh, I didn't get the words right. And instead of thinking, oh, well, I just need to figure out the right words, they think, oh, no, does this mean I'm not going to be able to get the, they start, in effect, awfulizing what's going to happen. That's unpleasant. Now, what do you do in that moment? You've got a couple of choices, right? We have volition here. One is you can hold the full context and say, well, this is just a first draft, and this is probably going to help me figure out a better words, which is the kind of thing that you do. Or you could say, oh, let's avoid, you know, that's not a good place. And then remember here, this white hot heat of inspirational writing is really pleasurable. So you have something that's a little unpleasant and you have something that's really pleasurable. And if you avoid this self-criticism and go to this unpleasant thing and go to this 
really pleasurable thing. If you do that repeatedly, what happens is you, you wind up making, say in this case, inspirational writing, be this big, disproportionately strong value. It's like, oh, this is the way it works. And, and it's not just, oh, it's great when it's inspirational, because it is great when it's inspirational. It's, it's great when it's inspirational. Oh, my God, it better not be another way, because behind me is all that self-criticism, which is un unpleasant. So this is what I would call a defense value, is that it's not that inspirational writing is irrational. It's actually great when you can do it. But because it was pleasant and it was done in part to avoid something that was unpleasant, it's got this extra motivation associated with it. And it's got fear around the edges accelerating it. So it's both disproportionately uh, strong value from having been done in lieu of actually, say, analyzing an outline and figuring out the logical structure and, you know, other things like that. And it's got this fear powering it. And so it becomes like the thing and it becomes um, in your value hierarchy, it becomes disproportionately high a value. And of course, you know, yourself is your, your mind and your chosen values. This becomes like one of your number one values. And that's why it would be a threat to your self-esteem if you, if your inspirational writing was challenged in some way. I mean, that's yeah. why if we look back abstractly, that's why, because it's become such a disproportionately high value in your, compared doubtless, to what would make sense. Doubtless he has told himself, I'm a superior type because I can write inspirationally and it comes out fantastic. Well, uh, and he experiences the criticism as it's a criticism, therefore, of my soul. Well, you know. That, I think, is a great example of psychologizing because that requires very specific evidence of what's going on in this person's head. Yeah. And right. they could have a number of different crazy rationales for this. Oh, that's right. A number yeah. of crazy different conclusions about this. Mm -hmm. And you picked one that, yeah, I mean, some people have that. I mean, it's yeah. not, but but to say that this is what's going on in this case, you cannot jump from they have a, a defense value of uh, inspirational writing, which I think you can say based on this kind of evidence, to they are getting mileage out of their being uh, better than other people because they can write inspirationally. That's but in some way, wouldn't it have to be tied to something bigger about themselves than just uh, this is a pleasant experience to write inspirationally? Well, I mean, the, the context here is a, is someone who's a writer, right? I mean, this yeah. is that this is yeah. part of their profession, and yeah. so it's it's not just. I mean, because some people just don't write, and they don't care that they can't write. Right. Right. Yeah. So the only reason this person cares that it's difficult to write in certain circumstances because he thinks he should, you know, self expression in some form is a big value to him. And it's just it's just the concretes around that have gotten disproportionately um, strengthened because he didn't hold the full context and and it, it turned into a um, and he did it repeatedly and as a result his values yeah. got somewhat distorted. Uh, can and you talk more about that about holding the full context and what role that has here and what that means and what role it has? Sure. Well, this is uh, you know I teach, I have a course called Self-Direction in the Thinking Lab. It's a 
10 series, 10 class series. And, and what I think is the, the thinking lab? I'm sorry, that's my membership program for people who are interested in uh, basically help on all mental skills on setting goals, uh, being productive, managing their motivation, uh, introspection. I have a whole range of uh, so thinking. Mental. Yeah. It doesn't just mean problem solving. No, it's no. Not in fact, surely... there's actually relatively little on problem solving in the thinking lab, mm -hmm. surprisingly. Mm -hmm. But there's also stuff like things I learned from you on concretization and definitions, and uh, things I learned from Peter on Peter essential material. Peter Schwartz, yes. So. Um, so I think the critical thing when you have any kind of mixed motivation where the thing that logically it seems to make sense to do is not the thing you're motivated to do, that mm -hmm. is any kind of conflict like that is an alert that you need to hold the full context. And the full context that you need to hold is all the values that are at stake. And that is not something you can do by just saying, oh, what values are at stake? You actually need to introspect the threat-oriented motivation you have, like this fear, right? What is this fear of criticism? What is the actual source of that? You need mm -hmm. to actually figure out what bad thing do you think is going to happen and what is the value that is threatened as a result of that? And that takes a couple of extra steps. And the same thing when you have a, um, you know, a lot of automatized motivation, you get it, you get it way down like uh i guess i need an actual example here but it often to introspect and actually get to all the values that are relevant it's not a one-step process it's a couple step process and you need to look at all the different emotions you're having and it can't be done you know instantaneously so you need to pause so actually to figure at, this out what i want to get at is normally we think of the full context is all the external facts that are relevant, but you're including heavily what the value where hierarchy. you are, what yes. you care about, what you're yes. acting for, what you're fearing, what going on inside you as part of the full context. And and critically, the full context is your values that are at stake. And so fear, the fact that you're afraid is not the context. The ish the context, the logical context that you need to activate is okay so like give tell me what this person might be afraid of like give me a concrete uh, that they might be afraid of from knowledge or made up made up but whichever you think would be better here and anonymous uh well this person expects his audience to disagree with him ah. so so uh, he wants to have an ironclad case built on unshakable principles that will protect him from any kind of disagreement. And so this is a great example. So there's so if you find a hole in his argument, this yeah. is like, oh, but then people might disagree. So, so this is a great example. So the, the threat is that people will disagree. Well, what's the value? What is it that he's after that if people disagree, he can't uh, get? Under understanding agreement, right. uh, so he, uh, wants, cooperation. he wants to get these ideas out there. He wants to influence people. He wants to have an impact on people. That's what he really wants, right? Yeah, he wants that. And that takes, you see, 
going from fear of disagreement to what I really want is have an impact on people. I really want to actually have these ideas get into their heads so they understand. Yeah, right. That changes the whole perspective here, because then if you hear someone smart like Harry says, I don't think this is clear. He says, oh, gee, I really want to make sure I get this into their head. So let me try and understand that thing that's not clear, because this is important for me to actually get it into their heads. It completely changes your perspective yeah. when you, but it, this is not what happens. The emotions just tell you about the threat. They don't tell you about the underlying value. You need to do those extra steps explicitly. And until you are aware of all those values, you aren't in a good position to figure out what's in your rational self-interest. When you're in conflict, if you're in conflict, uh, you don't really know what your rational self-interest is. Um, let me pursue this. I, I'm, completely sold on your idea that you change the motivational context by looking at the value that you're afraid is threatened yes. and, and taking it seriously. This is motivation uh, by love, as you were alluding to earlier. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, suppose that this person feels uh, physically inefficacious and, you know, he's the one that wasn't chosen to play on the softball team, but he can think, you know, he's mm -hmm. smart, but he's uncoordinated, weak. Uh, and, and so he not only wants to reach people, he wants to be protected against the pain of feeling I'm inadequate socially and physically? Well, so this is another thing where I would say this is a, a, a classic analysis of someone as to why you think that they are, you know, say, focused on intellectual work. And again, I would say, make sure this isn't psychologizing. You've just described this with a broad brush. And I would never assume that about someone. Uh, I would never assume that without their having actually made statements that support that in effect. Um, but let's assume but, they have. But 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 let's but here's the more important thing. So here's a person who has actually turned has has turned to intellectual work, mm -hmm. not just because they're smart and they're good at thinking and they're good at logic, but also to avoid the humiliation of you know sports and to avoid the um, humiliation of not being popular, right? And so this is this is what a defense value is. And this is why I think my analysis is so important because yeah. here you have something that is completely good that, you know, going, wanting to be an intellectual and wanting to be logical and wanting to make great arguments. This is good. And this is an important, good part of the person's soul. And in the even though they were motivated in not so great a way, they probably developed a lot of skills and a lot of knowledge about how to right. do this. Right. So, and this is real. This is, again, this is like a positive perspective on people. You have a defense value like that. You have developed a lot of skills. Now, unfortunately, you've also sabotaged this a little bit by adding fear to it that doesn't need to be there. And when you, and that fear will eventually get in the way. Like, for example, this disagreement would be a good example of that because yeah. if, Part of the thing that motivated you to be intellectual was fear of, you know, being disapproved of by other people. Right. 
that's why this issue of disagreement would be like, oh no, disagreement, that's the end of the world because I'm going to get that disapproval and I'm not going to get on the team, right? Okay. That is, of course, distorting your judgment about how to deal with constructive criticism that's coming right. in. Right. And what you want to be able to do is you want to say, oh, yes, it's a value. Yes, I have this. And I see that I've got these distortions around the edge. And these distortions, actually, the thing I really want, I don't care that much anymore about, you know, the kids on the so the softball team. Right. And I don't care about those kids. I'm trying to meet minds. And you know what? These old fears are actually getting in the way. What I really want here is to make an impact. And you can actually understand your own mixed motivation and without dishonoring your strengths, because that's the thing that's so upsetting about the way this is usually talked about. It's like, oh, you have a defense value of intellectual work. And it's like it like undercuts your entire yeah. sense of right. yourself. And that right. is wrong. That's wrong. That's terrible. And what it really is, is, OK, then this has gotten a little bit disproportionate. And maybe you actually need to develop some social values because that actually is important. If you want to talk to people, you better know what they're thinking. Uh, well, where I thought you would go is what is the value behind the fear of uh, not being chosen on the team and looked at as uh, puny and so forth? What's the value that he wants there? Oh, well, I mean, again, you know, this could be a lot of different things. Um, I mean, I'll just go back and I'll just introspect myself because I was never picked for the team. That's not 100% true. I was picked for the soccer team because a girl had to play goalie and I was the only girl, this is before soccer was real popular, I was the only girl who would actually try to block the goal. So I would get picked for the soccer team because I would flail around, at least try not to have the ball come into the, into the goal. <laughs> I wasn't very successful, but that was better okay. than so standing what, around. What's the value? What's the value? So, um, so what's the value? Well, I mean, for me, it was entirely. Uh, let's see, I'm trying to think what. So let me actually get the negative, because a lot of times you can't get to the value without getting the specific thing you're afraid of. You just, it's not general. It's always specific. So what was I, let me just think about one of those humiliating times. Um, well, this is not quite it, but uh, I was actually on a track team and I eventually quit because I was terrible. <laughs> I was really terrible. And I was really, uh, the thing that really bothered me was that I couldn't help the team. I really wanted to contribute and I was so slow. I was so slow. If I ran the mile, the winners would lap me when I ran the mile and, you know, on a quarter mile trap. And it was, it was here. I was supposed to be on a team and I wanted to contribute and I, 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 I couldn't do it. And I, and I, it was just awful. It was just awful. And so, so you see, this is not, any of, you know, this wasn't other people looking at me. The other people are actually super supportive of me, but I didn't want to be, I mean, it's a team, right? You're trying to win. I wanted to actually support that. So, uh, so there it would be. Values con contributing. Values contribution and cooperation and mm -hmm. um, yeah, something social like that. Mm-hmm. 
as opposed to, in my particular case, as opposed to approval. I don't know if that's helpful. Yeah, it's a different uh, slide on it. So now can we, we're over time, but let's get to the, the $64,000 question. If we say that uh, in response to um, your history, let's just put it that way, uh, some people are faking mm -hmm. and other people are just avoiding and getting distortions because they don't have the full context of their own values. Can we put them in the same concept of defensiveness or doesn't there have to be two different concepts to avoid lumping the irrational with the rational? Well, this is the difference between a psychological analysis and a moral analysis. And I think psychologically, there's just these mechanisms. You either form values or you avoid things. And mm -hmm. if you avoid them enough, you form anti-values. And mm -hmm. anti-values can get formed by repeated avoidance, even mm -hmm. if it wasn't, even if it wasn't really um, irrational. Uh, and I mean, over a long period of time, it takes much longer. Now, I think evasion turbocharges that. If you evade, you like create an anti-value on the spot. So you actually, I mean, I, I do think of it as like um, you're actually cutting holes in your in your uh, the, your the integration of your knowledge and values when you evade. So, which is, I think, completely consistent with the philosophical view that one evasion destroys the fabric of your knowledge. So, uh, so evasion is going to make a lot more damage, but the damage can happen in other ways. And so I think psychology is neutral on the moral issue. Psychology just describes I, I describes the um, pattern of motivation. And in order to reach the conclusion about whether it's honest or dishonest or mistaken, you know, avoidance, drift or evasion, they can all create some of these patterns. Um, that requires actually knowing more about the person's intent. And if you're introspecting yourself, you, you need to look honestly at, well, what caused this and that kind of thing. So I would never I assume- you have to get another session to talk about the other big question, which is what do you okay. do? How do you- uh, Right, we didn't get to that at all, right. Fixing, fixing this problem. And so can two, I just make one sentence on that? Yeah. Which is, that's the other thing that I think is really helpful about this model is it gives you the way forward. Because if what the problem is, is a big gap in your knowledge and values and skills, a little work to cover, to get some knowledge in that area and get some skill in that area and pursue some values in that area makes a huge difference. Huge. Very difference. good. Okay. Thank you very much. Uh, I hope to see you at the dinner table. <laughs> and uh, I think it's really interesting and potentially very, very helpful for people. And the, um, the wrong perspective can be very damaging and dispiriting. Yes. So yes. Uh, we'll pursue this in another session, uh, probably in two weeks, depending upon that, both of our schedules. Thank you, and thanks to everyone for coming. I'm saying goodbye for now. See you next week. Thanks, Harry.